Influencers, inspiration, and Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. This is Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Here's Connor Begley. All right, welcome to Earned, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. Today, we've got one of the top deal makers in the beauty world, Sean Westfall. Uh, Sean, thank you for joining the show. Well, thank you, Connor, and, and obviously thank you for giving me an opportunity to uh, put a sport coat on and dress up like a banker for once in many, many months. <laughs> I don't yeah. quite have the I don't quite have your style with that Hawaiian <laughs> shirt. I'll go for that on the next the next time. But it's it's a pleasure to be here and and uh, as you know, I admire all the great work that the tribe does for the industry. So uh, it's a real pleasure to join you here today. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm really excited to dive into another angle on the industry, mm-hmm. right? And learn. I think we have a lot of operators that have come in, but I think you have a unique perspective. Um, and for those that don't know you, I think uh, a few highlights for Sean, right? So he's currently managing director at Jeffries, uh, consumer and retail group. And I would say if you were to pick any random marquee beauty deal in the last 10 years that's happened, very good chance that Sean's been on it. <laughs> um, so a few, right? Did the Charlotte Tilbury sale to Pouge, Shiseido, a crying drunk elephant, Morphe sale to General Atlantic, Elemis to L'Occitane, Too Faced to Este, um, It Cosmetics to L'Oreal, NYX to L'Oreal, Urban Decay to L'Oreal. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. uh, there, there, there's a lot of them in there. Those are, those are most it's of the big a, ones. It's been a very busy decade and, and uh, it's, it's been an amazing journey that, that we've been on here. Totally. Well, let's let's hop into kind of a current day question, right? So I would imagine that the last year or so has really um, changed the market, right? Like, how do you evaluate a company that's got 70% of their footprint um, offline? Or alternatively, how do you think about a business that's, you know, entirely direct to consumer? Obviously, they're, they're mm-hmm. facing some, you know, some advantages. So I'd love to hear about the last year first. Yep. And then second, what I'd like to hear about is like now that a vaccine has come out, um, retail is kind of coming back to life a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that changed things when it comes to the, the beauty M&A market? Yep, certainly. And I know both of those are very much on the top of my mind, on the top of our clients. Uh, we, we talk about these aspects uh, every day. What I will say in particular about the COVID world, uh, like many parts of the economy and, and other markets and industries, I think COVID really accelerated in many cases what was already happening. Uh, it, it took sort of business models that were perhaps antiquated and then, um, you know, accelerated some of their struggles, uh, business models that were uh, showing some disruption. Uh, in digital had a content and community that that it embraced, whether it was social or a set of consumers where they really spoke to that consumer with their brand. Well, in a COVID world, when you can't get an experience from a retailer, you, you're seeking out, uh, whether it's content and community online, that, that basically showcases your brand and your reason to be uh, and your products and why that consumer should love your brand and your products. And we'll, yeah. yeah, I would imagine if I was kind of a large corporate player and you're looking at your portfolio and, you know, so much of it is exposed to this risk, you're like, oh, God, like I've got to get some digital assets in mm-hmm. here if I haven't been doing it already. So how, how you know, how are they thinking about it? Have, have things shifted at all? Because I think now it's like 
maybe I can go out and buy these businesses that have really been struggling for the last year mm -hmm. on the cheap, right? Like yeah. maybe I can get a deal here uh, now that everything's coming back online. Is that, is, are you seeing that kind of interest? So that, that's, um, that's a very interesting thought because generally the large beauty consolidators, they're desperate for growth. They are not necessarily going to go out and look to buy something on the cheap or buy a broken business and think they're going to fix it. Um, that's a lot of, that's a lot of expended energy for maybe, uh, you know, a small return. That, mm -hmm. that world where you roll up the sleeves, uh, get your hands dirty, rebuild a management team, reinvent a brand. Uh, that's honestly the world of, of oftentimes private equity where yeah. they can spend more time and attention. The strategics, and if you look at, if you look at in sort of the last decade of what's happened, maybe taking a step back, and, and this has been what certainly I've benefited in my career, and it's, it's just been an incredible industry to be a part of because it's full of such passionate entrepreneurs. And, you know, despite a crowded market, right? If we, we all sort of sat back and we looked, we walked in an Ulta and we walked in a Sephora and we saw how crowded the shelf might be, we would think, why in the world does, do, do we need another skincare brand or another cosmetics brand? But to these entrepreneurs, they see a void and they believe in that void so much. Uh, and they believe that the consumer needs their brand. It's, it's really what I love about the industry is, is there's so much passion for what they want to do and what they want to bring to the market. And, you know, many times they invent a, an amazing set of products and they don't even think about the distribution. They just know they're going to take this product, whether it's the back of their car, um, you know, in a, in a farmer's market or Sephora or Ulta. And, the the opportunity for the inventors, you know, going back whatever 15, 20 years ago, they probably knew that that the department store wasn't an option. It was too expensive. That's where all the big boys, big boys and girls were. And really what happened is um, Sephora and Ulta and oftentimes QVC was there for them. And that's how you saw really the explosion of the indie brands. The indie brand by definition was independent of of large, large company and independent of, of legacy distribution, which could have meant department store, or it could have meant food mass drug in particular, you know, drug stores where uh, that's where traditional, oftentimes traditional beauty was sold before, uh, you know, Walmart and Target. And, you know, really what happened over the past um, decade was Sephora and Ulta really became large enough to drive and deliver scale to these beauty brands. And then the large consolidators sat back and they said, wait a minute, we're under index to these high growth channels and, you know, we need to step up and be a player. So, and that's, you know, a bit of a longer answer to your question, but really what happened is, or what happens if, if you're the big consolidators, obviously Estee Lauder, Shiseido, L'Oreal, um, Unilever, you want to buy growth and you want yep. to go out and you want to buy that disruptive brand that was oftentimes a strong player in specialty beauty. And then it became a strong player in uh, Instagram, social media, Facebook, which certainly that was Nick's, right? Nick's had traditional yep. distribution, but they really found a new way to market their brand, a very efficient way to drive customer traffic to the retailer. Then, you know, the next step of that is where we are today, where we're leveraging social media and a way of marketing and telling my story, 
but it's through new new distribution. And that's yeah. obviously where, you know, whether you're an investor in private equity or whether you're a consolidator, um, you, that's what you're really looking to. You're looking to that authentic story that has content, community, a, a two-way conversation, right? We talk a lot about conversation, um, you know, historically conversation was one way it was a big a big company telling you through the television to go buy my product yeah the the wonderful part about social media is that was the advent of a two-way conversation and well you know, that's like that i don't know i don't know if you caught it but in our last episode with kevin uh gould right so he's built businesses that went from four million to 75 million in the last two years and the story that just i can't get off of is this like they started out and he's like, at one point you have zero fans on Instagram. Yeah. He's like, and then, you know, you get one and he's like, what do you do with the one? He's like, well, you send him a message saying like, Hey, thanks so much for following us. Yeah. And he's like, and that turned into a massive direct sales channel for them. And that's exactly what you're talking about, which yep. is like, you can now have this direct two way conversation at, from a brand direct to your customer in a way that's just incredibly impactful for, you know, brand loyalty for, you know, all these things that weren't available, um, you know, when, when distribution was different. Yeah. And that, and we, when we were working on Nix originally, which, which I would say was probably the first to come to market that really understood the power of influencers and early on, what did they do? They got the influencer or they made the influencer feel like Nix loved them. Um, they were often, you know, struggling. They were, they were, um, you know, in their, in their bedroom, just, just sort of trying to, to figure this out themselves and Nick's made them feel loved. And it was a, it was a mutual connection that was authentic and powerful and, and that the consumer really adopted because it, it that influencer spoke to them authentically. And I know, yeah. authentic, you know, authentic is a word that gets, gets certainly overused. Um, I haven't thought of a better way to say it yet, so I guess we'll <laughs> use it, but but that is, that's what's going on. I mean, if you find that influencer that speaks to you at a personal level, at an authentic level, um, you know, the, then you're going to embrace what, whatever that brand, uh, he or her is talking about. For sure. You know, one of the names I didn't hear you mention when it came to distribution that I'm kind of curious about myself is obviously, you know, you've got the new wave of distribution, which is mm-hmm. like, you, well, you had Sephora and Ulta, then you've got the direct consumer model. And then, you know, obviously Amazon continues to make a really big play here. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are brands that are like Amazon exclusive or, you know, yep. like, I mean, that's what House Labs is, right? Yeah. Um, are you starting to see, like, what are you seeing on that side? Are you seeing people get um, significant distribution being Amazon only or being, you know, having Amazon be a really big portion of their their sales? Yeah. So I think we're seeing, and and we talk about COVID acceleration. I I do believe that for certain channels, uh, Amazon and COVID and the adoption of the consumer using Amazon for personal care and beauty for certain items, it's not everything. Um, You know, Amazon, as you know, is, is a marketplace. They're very transactional. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's about selling you something um, is, is kind of quick as you, quick as you want to buy it as quick as they can sell it. That isn't necessarily what you would characterize as educational and experienced beauty. So I think, do I think Amazon is going to play an ever increasing role in what I would say are everyday beauty items, everyday personal care items? You know, I think the likely, the the likely losers in that is traditional drugstore um, Mm -hmm. where, 
you know, I've probably got less and less a reason to go to a drugstore unless I'm desperately out of something or I need my, you know, I'm getting a cold and I need to go get some cough medicine right now. But well, they're doing I, pharmacy now too, yeah, right? They're moving right. into the pharmacy space, yeah. So, you know, the drugstore relied on uh, you going to get cold medicine and then probably wandering over to buy some more lipstick or foundation or mascara um, or even, you know, shampoo. Now I'm, you know, I'm, in, I'm standing in the shower and I'm like, well, I'm about out of shampoo or soap. You don't run to the drugstore, you, your shaving cream, you don't run to the drugstore. You're, you're like, well, I need something on Amazon. I'm just going to throw this in too. And if you look at, and I'm not, I, this isn't just sort of pontificating, pontificating over a podcast. This is very real. If you look at the Nielsen data or the IRI data post COVID, the deceleration in beauty in drug has dramatically, you know, the, the deceleration has accelerated um, for your differential equation folks out there. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, that, that a little engineering uh, um, background. Yeah, there. speaking so, of differential, <laughs> what made you decide to go from engineering to finance? I mean, that's what you studied yeah. in school, right? Yeah. Well, I wanted to wear pocket squares and you would never do that as an engineer. So, um, <laughs> so no, seriously. The, that uh, was the, uh, the... Yeah, so... So, <laughs> so I, I loved, you know, I was good in math and I loved math as a kid. I loved kind of physics and the way the world worked. Um, so I, you know, the, the, the counselor told me to go be an engineer. So I went with the college and you know, worked really super hard and, and got an engineering degree and found myself at Boeing out of college. And what I, what I found is that although enamored by big airplanes, I wasn't necessarily enamored by the day to day of my job. And mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I quickly realized that I loved people and I loved building relationships with people, not necessarily, you know, how to make a jet engine go, go faster or uh, live longer. But I really liked the idea of working with people, helping people. Uh, and I also kind of fell in love with the, with the stock market, the capital markets, was fascinated by finance and how that all worked and, and, you know, wondered why I didn't go get an accounting and a business degree, but, um, you know, realized that, that the relationship aspect of banking and finance, um, was, was really what, what I loved and loved to do. The other piece is, um, one of my initial jobs out of business school was, was actually, I was doing tech and, and healthcare investment banking, but had a, a small assignment around consumer brands and just love the way or the thought around brands, brand on the shelf, how brands were marketed, how they were distributed, why consumers fell in love with brands. Uh, and, you know, sort of then coupling my interest in finance and problem solving with a fascination of consumer behavior, you know, voila, there, there, there became my you know, interest. It was a perfect marriage for me of, of working with clients and brands, but on the, you know, finance and banking side. So yeah, kind of, well, lu I think kind of lucked into it a little bit, but I, I guess it wasn't by accident. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you find something that you're interested in you just continue mm -hmm. to dive in that direction. Right. And then yeah. all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow. Like I, I certainly can tell you, I did not plan on having a podcast interviewing beauty executives when we started tribe eight years yeah. ago, yeah. but, uh, now we're here and it's like, and I love it. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so talk to me a little bit about kind of beauty. Cause now you, that's your specialty. Yeah. It seems like obviously I'm sure yeah. you can delve into, you know, other categories, 
But what what kind of led you into that category specifically? And Absolutely. then, you know, um, have you ever thought about going into other categories? Is it like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just a lot of advantage to having those relationships. Yeah. So, now. so I, I mean, just broadly defined, I've, I've always been fascinated with, with brands and lifestyle brands. And, and as I mentioned, why the consumer loves and, and adopts certain brands. Uh, so, you know, that is a start. I, in my early in my banking career, I, I did a bunch of stuff. I worked in food and beverage. I worked in outdoor active lifestyle. Um, you know, I grew up in Idaho. I love to fish and hike and bike and, um, and, uh, but also I was exposed early on. One of the first deals I worked on as a banker was the IPO bear essentials and, mm-hmm. you know, being intellectually curious and, um, I felt a little strange at first, but, but I would just wander into bear, uh, to, uh, Sephora and wander into Ulta and just, just look around. And it, my eyes were just blown away by what I saw and, and, and just how much, how much, uh, the consumer, you know, we say she, right? How much she loves interacting with product and, and trying product and experimenting. And, and, you know, I think whenever a woman walks into a Sephora or Ulta or, you know, a department store, or now, you know, gets online and explores social, they're always looking for something. They're always looking for that something that delights, surprises and delights her. And I, I don't even think they're looking for a silver bullet. But it, it's it's a moment of escape. You know, Ulta, Ulta often uses that. It's, you know, a journey into our store is a, is a bit of an escape. And, you know, you really see that. And that's also the answer as to why Amazon is not ever going to take over the beauty yep. world. Yeah, It's fundamental human behavior to want to experiment and explore, to touch and feel. And, yes, you can do some of that online, but you certainly can't, can't do all of it. And... Um, you know, that journey and that human need to go on that journey is, I, I think, overpowers, you know, sort of anything that you can do digitally. Totally. I mean, this is, uh, this is going to be me trying to sound like I'm manly, but like we bought a house mm-hmm. and recently, you know, about a year and a half ago and there's an Ace Hardware nearby. And I've just found myself, like I go in and just walk down every aisle. Cause I'm like, yeah. hmm, I wonder what's in here. Maybe there's something I don't know that I yeah. needed. Right. Yeah. And it's like, but I think in a lot of ways that, you know, that experience for me can't be replicated online, right? Like yeah. scrolling through a page on Amazon just isn't the same yeah. as like walking down and seeing something physically that yeah. can, uh, you're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah. You, you know? want, like you, you're, you're right. You're exactly right. You, you may run out of light bulbs. And you'll yep, go on Amazon yep. and throw some light bulbs in there, but you're not just going to explore just for something that you may or may not need on Amazon. But yes, that, yep. you're right that your walk through the hardware store is the guy's version of of probably the the woman's version. But again, and I do this all the time in all other categories. It's yeah. just for me, I think it's the most surprising because I literally never went to hardware stores before that. But it was like I bought a house and now I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, So talk to me about, so, you know, for most of the people that are going to listen to this podcast, they're either going to be entrepreneurs, aspiring Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, they'll be inside Mm -hmm. some of these brands that maybe are looking to sell. Um, And I think, you know, there's not going to be many times in their lives where they can get a real insider's view into how this process works, right? So, you know, so, so walk me through, I'm a brand, I reach out to you and say, hey, Sean, you know, I think it's time, right? I want to explore um, kind of selling my company. Yeah. Um, what, it, what what does that process look like kind of beginning to end? Yeah, so um, 
The answer is it, it can look very differently depending on what your goals are. So, mm-hmm. so we start working with companies that, you know, they may even be interested in, they, they're, they're hundred percent owned by the family, the entrepreneur, um, or maybe they've taken on some friends and family, uh, capital or angel round to, to get off the, to get off the ground. Um, you know, and they're, they may be looking to sell a, a small stake in their company. Um, oftentimes they've, they've never done that. So they've built their company over years and years and years or a decade. Uh, and you know, they're, they made the decision, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to do something different in my life. And I want to, I want to sell and I'm willing to tr- help transition with the company, but I want to go do great things, right? I want to travel yep. the world or do things that are charitable. And, and so, you know, really we try to sit down and understand what your goals are. Is it, is it succession planning? Is it, um, you know, I, I want, I'm, I'm only going to sell to a strategic or I'm willing to, to sort of contemplate that private equity round and sell to a strategic. Um, I want to transition the business. Um, you know, strategics love to buy companies from founders, but there's always that question of you know, what, what, what's going to happen when the founder leaves and, and, you know, I think the best situation uh, you can put yourself in if you're a business owner is have an answer to that question, right? Who's going to take over for, 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 for me when I, you know, when I inevitably want to move on and do something different. Now, you know, you, there's, there's cases where founders have stayed on at big beauty companies for a long time. Look at, look at Bobby Brown mm-hmm. and, uh, and Estee Lauder, Francois Nars at, at Shiseido. Um, and they've lived, you know, uh, Wendy's Omner at L'Oreal, and they've lived, you know, rewarding, wonderful lives inside of the big strategic. Um, you know, that there's certainly lots of cases of the opposite where people wanted to walk away right away. And those brands have thrived and succeed, uh, had, had tremendous success inside of the strategic. So, you know, I think if you're a great business, um, and you're highly desirable in the market, there's the, the buyer is going to figure out a way to, to make you happy because they want to buy mm-hmm. your business and they want to do the right thing. Um, you know, they're making a, a big financial bet um, on the future when they make an acquisition. And, you know, so, so really understanding what, what they want as the entrepreneur um, and then, you know, building the plan for them to help them achieve, achieve their goals. And we design the, anytime we design a process, we design it with the, with the goal in mind for that, for that, well, you know, whether it's a founder entrepreneur or, or certainly if it's, if it's also got private equity involvement, um, yep, yep. more often, you know, that's a much more clear cut case. If a private equity investor is in the business, you know, they're looking obviously for a big sort of strategic outcome usually in, yep. in this part of the world. So the advice to the founder, um, I can't, I can't say enough. And this, this probably sounds very simple and maybe you've heard it before, but find a good accountant, hire a good yeah. accountant, hire a good <laughs> controller, <funny. laughs> imp- yeah. implement. There, there's no excuse from day one to not have good books and records, whether you start with QuickBooks or NetSuite and then you migrate over time. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's very simple to implement cloud-based accounting software do you and, run into that often where it's just a mess behind the scenes from a financial perspective or uh, not too often? There's some usually um, usually folks have have kind of gotten religion around around QuickBooks. They may not have they may not have done it right away. Then they struggled with it. Usually by the time they get to us, they've they've figured out 
some, you know, some accounting work, but they always tell a nightmare story about how they wish they had done it differently from the start. Yeah. yeah so my yeah. advice is, you know, start right now, but, but, and it's not, just, I'm not saying that about, you know, accounting so that you can balance your balance, your, your corporate checkbook. I really mean because take and utilize accounting software and understand the, the KPIs, right? The key performance indicators. What are the levers in your business? What are the things that you need to monitor? And, you know, unless you, you start with a good foundation of, of tracking your business from a financial standpoint, right? Entering the building proper books and records and journal entries and all that good stuff that, that unfortunately I think makes a lot of beauty on entrepreneurs eyes glaze over. <laughs> but you don't. But you don't have to do it. Just hire somebody that will. Uh, and and it, because it's it's not about making you know my job easier to sell your company. It's it's really about understanding your business, right? Are you profitable? Yep. Are you yep. pro- Is this retailer profitable? Is this channel profitable? Are you making money in e-commerce? Are you making money on the sale of a single product? Um, yeah, yeah. Which, which actually is a nice segue into my next piece of advice, which is not original to me. Um, and I believe uh, Mr. Lauder would say this as well. Make money right away. You know, don't mm. don't develop a model where, you know, your your first transaction is a is a lost leader. You're yeah. not us. You're not. We're not. We're not in the software business. We can't, you know, have some sunk cost that that ultimately the output is an infinitely scalable product at. 90% gross margins. You know, we, we make something, we sell something. We need to make it at a price that's at a margin that works. Um, I would say generally, you know, 60% gross margin or better. And, you know, your cost of acquiring a customer shouldn't be more than you sell the product for. And whether that's online or on the shelf. And these things that are simple, um, you'd be surprised at how often they're, you know, they're not they're not sort of held to or they're violated based on, you know, another thought or a, a proposition of, you know, build it and, and build it and they will come or build it and we'll get in scale. We'll make up for margin. It yeah. just never. I mean, s- you see that with the venture dollars coming in, right? You've got venture dollars that are mo- yeah. are traditionally used to investing in software companies, which is yeah. like, you know, there's no marginal cost to add a new, new license for the most part. Um, That's exactly right. That and are, I- yeah. And I think there, I think the, um, you know, there, I think there are cases where those venture dollars in consumer brands, consumer companies have worked and there, there, there are probably more cases than, than those that, you know, they're struggling because they developed a model, um, around too much capital and, you know, probably didn't develop a unit level model that, that made money. And, and there's a difference between, Losing money right away when you sell a product uh, and actually making money at the unit level, but then using capital to scale a business that needs growth capital. Mm-hmm. Very, very different. It's uh, perhaps sounds subtle, but it's very different. If I need working capital to grow my business, but at the unit level I make money, that's, there's, there's cert- that's certainly um, something that's favorable. But, yeah. you know, to raise money to fund losses on day one uh, because I don't make money in, on my fundamental product. Um, you know, I think that's a tougher road. That's a, that's a tough road. Um, yeah. So you mentioned KPIs. I'd be curious. I mean, you've 
you've developed this specialization in beauty, obviously, but at the same time, I think you've you've been involved in a lot of these digitally native yep. or digitally forward brands like Charlotte Tilbury, Drunk Elephant, um, Too Faced, Morphe. Um, what are the KPIs that they're presenting on the digital side? Like yep. if I'm a brand and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are the what are the numbers that are important when I'm trying to sell my company or raise mm-hmm. money for investment? What what are they paying attention to the the yeah. investors and the acquirers? Yeah, another excellent question, and I, I think also what I would say um, you know to listeners is the there was a time when the digital native business was much savvier in digital than were the big companies. And mm-hmm. in many cases, they they were buying to learn because they didn't know about digital and they didn't know about social. I think those days are are, are way past us, meaning the, the big players are now very sophisticated. They know mm-hmm. how to they know how to live and work on Amazon. They know how to build their own e-commerce platforms. Um, you know, and now their their digital businesses are in the hundreds of millions, if not billions, um, in the beauty side. So they know all the KPIs. Um, they know how to assess the KPIs, um, which are the ones that, that we sort of talked about. Make money at the unit level, meaning mm-hmm. is my is my first order, is my average order higher than my customer acquisition cost? Um, you know, am I truly getting repeat purchase that actually equates to a lifetime value? That that is logical and and not sort of exaggerated. Um, mm-hmm. What what metric? How am I calculating lifetime value? Um, yeah, I mean that's you know, so tough when you have somebody yeah. that can buy on your website, then go and buy in store, and then maybe yep. buy at Amazon. Absolutely. Like, how do you track that person? You know, across yep. all those different ecosystems. And and that's another thing. Be real about your marketing costs, and be real about the marketing costs. You you be when I say be real, be intellectually honest about which marketing costs you're allocating to CAC. And I, yeah. and I get it. You, you do something on Instagram, they may not buy off your website, they may buy in Sephora. And that, that look, that's the, work, that's the multi-channel world that we live in today. Um, I think as long as you, you put some intellectual rigor around it, and I, I believe most folks know in their, in their heart of hearts what's working and what their real costs are. Yeah. And, and they need, and, and like, as I said, just, just sort of be intellectually honest with yourself about, about what costs are loaded into your KPIs. Um, you know, ROAS is another big one, right? Return on ad spend. Um, how do you, if, if you're a multi-channel business, it, I think it's, if, if you're sort of in the click and buy mode, that's, that's certainly easy to track. But you know, if you, if you're, if you're, you know, sending an ad or sending an email campaign, and they don't go right into buying, but they buy, um, you know, an Ulta or Sephora the next time they walk through. That's, you know, that's, there's, I think you need to understand that. But also there's ways to figure this out. If you, if you're running a, your own campaign or you're doing something on social and your dot-com sales sort of do okay, but you watch an Ulta.com sales go way up or Sephora's dot-com sales go way up, then it's probably working and you need to think about how you allocate that. Mm-hmm. Um, in your in your metrics, the other thing I will say is, sophisticated companies today are not are not competing with different channels digitally. Meaning, if if Sephora is doing something with your brand, don't go out there and do something digitally direct on your own and compete with Sephora. 
to try to drive outdo Sephora and, and drive folks to your website, right? Yeah. You want yeah. you want to be coordinated with with your campaigns, right? When when Sephora's yeah. off, you're on. Um, if you happen to be an Ulta and Sephora, you know, make sure that Sephora and Ulta don't compete with each other, right? You shouldn't be competing with them either on digital. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the other part that, 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 that clearly just being on Instagram and Instagram likes or Instagram followers, those, those days are now over and, and you can, you could, you could tell folks that better than anybody. Um, I think what you guys are doing around engagement and retention mm-hmm. of influencers is super, super important. Um, and, and, you know, needs to be monitored and tracked because that's really what, what you're looking for. Um, are you, are you identifying, are you catering to, are you speaking to influencers that aren't just sort of one and done with your brand, but really are engaging and there and, and staying with your brand? Uh, because, you know, it speaks to them back to that word authentic. If your brand isn't genuinely authentic to them and doesn't speak to them, well, guess what? They're not going to really talk about it that much. Um, it's going to be sort of a one-off and it's probably going to be. Um, diluted by talking about a bunch of other stuff at the same time. So, yeah, I mean that's that goes back to I mean, we both. I think a big takeoff point for both of us was Nick's. Right when we mm-hmm. met Nick's, it's like wow, they're doing it way differently than everybody else. And in the metrics we're tracking, right, which was EMV at the time, you know, the numbers are just through the roof. Like, what are they doing that's different than everybody else? And it was, you know, long-term relationships. That's right. Authentic relationships, right? Supporting the creators as much as the creator supported them. Um, and it wasn't about going out and finding uh, Jennifer Lopez and paying her to and talk about her. the brands, That's, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was so, the mistake I think the big brands made uh, initially is they were they were basically utilizing influencers. Um, they, they were essentially um, doing things the old way in a new medium, essentially yeah. saying, well, this is like a magazine ad and we're going to pay a spokesperson uh, on social, just like we paid a spokesperson to be on TV or in a magazine. And, and clearly that came across as very inauthentic and, yep. and, and it was what it was. It was paid advertising, which didn't resonate with the consumer, right? That consumer was following somebody because it spoke to them as a person, not, not as being, um, you know, I want to, because, XYZ celebrity talks about it, then I want to buy it. That's, that's, first of all, that doesn't, you know, we'll, we'll see about, we know there's obviously an onslaught of, of kind of celebrities getting into beauty and using social yep. and, and trying to leverage, leverage their, their star power to sell beauty products. I think if that, if that individual does it in an authentic way, then it works. If, yep. it, if the consumer kind of sees, oh, they're just doing this to make money. They're just slapping their name on it and putting That's a logo exactly right. on some private and, label product and, yeah, you know, yeah. hoping they can make a quick buck. That right. just doesn't, I don't think it'll work. I do yeah, think and there's by something. The way that, there's no, there's no exit for that business because the buyers will see right through it too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talking about buyers here for a second, you know, one of the things that we've been paying attention to is, there's, you know, there's different trends that happen. So right now, if you look at like Ilia or Kosas, right, clean, not only clean beauty was kind of, ref, you know, confined to skincare and a little bit of hair care, but it's now getting to the makeup side. Yep. Are you seeing, you know, are, 
Are the buyers in this space looking to get more exposure there or are there other areas mm-hmm. where they're saying, hey, I really want to get into this market? Are you seeing yeah. particular interest in particular categories? Yeah, so clean beauty. Um, I think clean beauty is now the price of entry. It's, it's the, mm-hmm. as we say, table stakes. Uh, if you're not clean or you're not close to getting clean, um, there's probably, it's, it's, there's not really much of, a, of an opportunity out there. Um, because I think the consumer is now very educated, very wise. They, that they, especially the consumers that are up and coming, uh, the millennials and Gen Z. They're very educated on what's good for you, what's not, and uh, you know they're they're only going to buy clean beauty. Uh, so that's the entry point. the The other piece is, have you, are you genuinely clean? Are you truly clean? Uh, mm-hmm. Again, authentically clean, or have you green? You know, attempted to greenwash your brand. So, yep. so you have to start the right way, and that I mean, obviously, that's what that's what drunk elephant was and that's why it was you know so well sought after is um tiffany started out that way in a very in a very focused and and defined really defined in her way what she felt was clean skincare and that didn't mean you know just 100 percent natural and organic it just meant it was efficacious and there was nothing bad for you in it it was okay mm-hmm. to have a powerful ingredient that may not have been 100 percent organic um but it was at least biocompatible and wouldn't be harmful. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that you know the whole industry is shifting and has to shift. Um, there's there are obviously legacy brands that have very very strong consumer following, and not every consumer cares about it. Right? Yeah. Yep. Um, I think for pathways of digital, specialty beauty, the channels that are growing, uh, then. Generally, I would say you need to be clean. Now, there are consumers that just want something to work and work yep. very well. That's probably very much more in the heavy-duty professional, science-driven. Um, perhaps they're not completely clean and natural, but that consumer doesn't necessarily care about clean and natural. They're looking for heavy-duty, functional yeah. performance, and they'll do it any way they can get it. So. Uh, that, 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 by the way, also is a big part of the market and, yeah. and growing, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, the, um, <laughs> yeah, the makeup artistry the, community, the fountain, the fountain of youth seekers, um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're willing, they're willing to go with something that may not be uh, clean, but it works. So, yeah, uh, that makes sense. And, you know, that's, that's obviously a well-talked about baby boomer aging population. Yes. They would love everything to be clean and natural, but they want it to work too. And is that are the kind of strategic, which for those that don't know, strategic players means bigger consolidators, L'Oreal, yep. Estee, Shiseido, et cetera. But um, are they are they pushing to get bigger in those categories or is it, you know, is it yep. pretty well known and they're just trying to transform their existing brands to kind of match that market? I, I think it's it's all the above there. Yep. There are white spaces around authentic, clean beauty that works, whether that's skincare, hair care or cosmetics. Uh, I do think there is opportunity in truly scientific, clinical, proven, results-driven. Uh, and, you know, it can't be bad for you, but does it have to be clean? Um, you know, I don't, I don't think so. Um, yep. uh, that, that, that channel uh, called the Derm, the professional channel, is growing very nicely. Uh, it obviously hit some, hit some troubles in COVID when it was closed. 
but it was it was growing um tr you know tremendously well as as i think this is this is a bit of you know sean westfall theory but but i think <laughs> i think that what's going on is there was a class of consumers that would go to the department store and had a relationship with someone who was a skincare enthusiast as that channel and that and the, and perhaps um you know they're they're seeking another way to be educated now and they're they don't necessarily it's a consumer that doesn't want to do it online they want to go be with somebody and talk to somebody mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. that is the esthetician so the esthetician yep. is the new influencer in serious skincare and that's something we saw with with um with hydrofacial which um it was recently announced in a very yep. successful sale to a to a spac they're, they're, uh, it's facts. Uh, they're, I actually got a hydrofacial one time because we mm -hmm. worked with them and they're, they're fantastic. It's yeah. a great, great system. Um, but we saw that to your point on the digital, on the estheticians, you know, when we look at, uh, CeraVe mm -hmm. uh, or CeraVe, um, they, I mean, a huge part of what's driving their growth right now, which they went from the number 76th ranked brand we tracked to number 25 over the last three years. Um, in skincare is these digital estheticians, right? Like yeah. we're seeing that start to come online, um, mm -hmm. which I think was a little delayed because people like to do that in person. Um, so another thing that I think was accelerated, which is uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, estheticians, uh, they, they, they are, they're a different type of beauty junkie, right? They're, they're a skincare junkie. I mean, to the, they, they are in fact the definition of the skincare junkie and they're, mm -hmm. they're credible, they're thoughtful, they're passionate. And they're finding a voice um, through social, right? They're 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 kind of the skincare or you know the skincare version of a makeup artist. So, mm -hmm. um, and they have credibility, uh, and they often they have a life and a lifestyle that that I think consumers find the esthetician online that they love. And um, you know, again, that's a that's a that's a testament to the, the sophistication now of L'Oreal how they took that brand which people just thought of as a sort of regular drugstore, drugstore skincare brand, therapeutic skincare brand, and look at what they did with it. So, um, again, it, there, that shows that there's just tremendous white space um, for people who are seeking serious skincare in any channel, whether it's, mm -hmm. it's at the very high end in the derm doctor office channel or med spa channel, down to back to the back to food mass drug where CeraVe sold. Uh, yep. So, uh, you know, I think I think the market continues to grow very nicely, um, and you know that there's a lot of debate about color and mass versus prestige color, and when's color going to come back? And um, you know, I think skincare has always been there, but but really, as as consumers have sought out you know, self-pampering, self-indulgence. Uh, they've really sought skin and body care as that, that part of the market. And that, that clearly exploded during COVID, as you saw with even CeraVe and, you know, Thayer's and, and a bunch of other brands that you could find in traditional food mass drug, Amazon, et cetera. Yeah. So before we get into kind of the, you know, fun end of show questions, I think the last question I had is um, it's just something that I've been fascinated on. I've never heard your opinions on it, so I'm actually kind of curious because you've actually been involved in some of these deals, which is, um, you know, 
we communicate with a lot of the private equity firms and one of the bigger plays was like, hey, we want to build out a competitor to these kind of tradi- traditional yeah. strategics yeah. and yeah. we're going to do, and it's going to be a digitally native competitor, yeah. right? So yeah. like, let's use Morphe as a platform to launch and manage yeah. brands and they're doing that, right? I think to a lot of success. Um, do you think, like how viable do you think that is as an option or is it something mm-hmm. where... Um, you know, the advantages of digital just aren't, you know, don't, don't really make that a viable option. Is that, I'm, I just have to imagine that you've had a lot of those conversations. Yeah. The, so he yeah, absolutely, um, the, the new platform or the new platform consolidator question. Yep. I, I believe the market is wide open for someone to emerge with real scale that, that rivals the legacy consolidators. Now they're always going to be here. They have tremendous, they have tremendous capability and distribution might. But the ability to disintermediate legacy uh, shelf space has never been more apparent than today. You can tell millions of people about your brand instantly. Uh, you can connect in a two-way conversation instantly. And, and there's just some amazing companies that are, that are doing this. They, they've taken the COVID era and, and said, you know what, we're, we're not just gonna, just gonna sort of take this line down. We're going to take our best people and we're going to invite one-on-one conversations. We're going to take our makeup artists that were in the field and we're going to turn them into um, consultants online where just like you and I, they're doing Zoom calls through, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's a mechanism to filter and find the, the um, makeup artist that speaks to me. One of the problems right now is if, if, I'm, if I'm a consumer and she's looking for something interesting and new for me, and I go on Instagram, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the, the sheer magnitude of influences there are. How do I find the one that even speaks to me? So, you know, we're seeing brands that are developing tools to uh, filter and identify the influencer that, that connects with me, or at least through, through AI they, and, and analysis, think will connect with me. And then we're creating that one-on-one true relationship that you might have had with with even the Avon lady long ago. And we're we're now doing it in the digital world. And that she understands me. She understands my skin tones. She understands what I like, what I don't like. And she's able to recommend to me what works for me. And she's able to teach me how to put on makeup. And we, you know, we do it together via Zoom. I, I think that truly if there's a, if there's something that will sort of ultimately break down um, the need to walk into a, a store, that's probably it. I'm not saying that that's going to sort of end into this to the to retail, but it's certainly and, and in fact, I might suggest it expands. It continues to expand the market and, and invites a whole new class of consumers into into learning more about beauty, learning the power of beauty. And, you know, they're going to shop online and they're going to shop in the store. They're going to do both uh, yeah. because they value both. Yeah. So, so yes, companies, I, <laughs> I do believe, I do believe there is going to be a platform that emerges, whether it's Morphe or, you know, something that, you know, a SPAC starts to consolidate some emerging digital brands and, you know, figures out how to very efficiently, specifically market certain brands to certain consumers but has a fully integrated back office of best practices and distribution capability. Perhaps, perhaps they incorporate manufacturing so they can be 
extremely quick to market. There's no, literally no lag because they're not relying on a, on a vendor. Well, that's like Seed Beauty or Mesa yeah. Group, right? Mm-hmm. Those are two big players yeah. that are trying to do that. Where you can, you know, when you have distribution in, or uh, manufacturing in-house, you can turn around stuff really, really quickly That's right. Right, based on consumer interest. Yeah, you listen to the consumer and two days later, you've got something rolling out the factory floor. Um, mm-hmm. That, that you yeah, know, that's, impos- that's impossible to replicate if you're, you know, you're using outsourced manufacturing. Um, so I... I feel there's there's definitely an opportunity. Um, the, the the market is growing faster than the big brands are growing, and they simply can't acquire. They, they just by by sheer nature of they're not going to slice the pie is you know so ultra thin, and um, there's always going to be room for uh, you know a new consolidator. Yeah, it's uh. It's going to be weird. It'll be interesting to watch how it changes. I mean, there's just, there's so much opportunity there, right? Like the thing is you can have a really big new consolidator that doesn't take a bite out of L'Oreal or Estee, right? It's just like a totally new thing, right? They can be 10, $20 billion in value. I I mean, is, is it, you know, my, my, my livelihood is dependent on finding (laughs) that next interesting brand to sell. And uh, at times I'm like, Wow, is there anything left to sell? And <laughs> lo and behold, somebody comes up with something amazing, and um, I, I, I uh, my hats off to entrepreneurs because yeah, in this you're industry, really, you're dependent on that innovation. Yeah, so, so <laughs> I'm, I'm dependent on you know. I know you're out there. You're working on something in your garage, so keep keep at it. <laughs> keep I'll at be it. here. Yeah, I'll be here. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but it, but it's, and I go back to it just, just the passion and conviction that, that entrepreneurs have in this industry and, and they know that the white space is there for them and they, they just believe. And I, um, it's, it's really amazing. It's, it's just, I'm so, uh, fortunate to be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's get, you know, we're, uh, we're coming up on time. So let's yeah. do one, we'll do one fun end of show question. So, yeah. um, you know, I think investment bankers are kind of notorious road warriors, right? Yeah. You're just on a plane constantly. Yeah. Um, so I guess first question is, um, you know, do you plan on getting back on a plane? I know you've been on it a little bit, but like to, mm-hmm. at the same level that you were before, yeah. or do you imagine doing a lot more things digitally? So I think yeah. that's the first question. Yeah. And the second question is, is there anything in particular when you do get back on the road that you're looking forward to? And I'll yeah. tell you what mine is. Whenever yeah. I go to New York, I get a really good steak dinner, like nice wine. Cause like you, know, you don't get that kind of dinner in San Francisco. Nope. It just doesn't happen. And yeah. so, so anything that you're actually looking forward to about being back on the road, cause of course, you know, yeah. yeah. So. Well, I, I wouldn't be in this industry um, like you if I didn't like a good steak dinner in New York. So I too <laughs> am looking. So uh, to all you restaurant, you know, you steak houses in New York, uh, look out, Connor and I are going to be there soon. But uh, no, I, I, I'm I'm excited to get out and and visit with clients. Um, there there are this is a you know selling someone's business is is a very intimate thing. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's very much built on trust and relationships. Um, we we sell an intangible. We're not we're not like you know when we get on Zoom. We're not trying to collaborate a product launch. I mean we we are trying to understand fundamentally what the goals of this individual are, uh, individuals and team. And, 
it's 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 a it's very much a relationship driven situation and we're you know we're part-time consultant sometimes we're part-time psychologist um and therapist as as we embark on the journey and i miss sitting in rooms in a room with clients i miss sitting around a board table sharing ideas collaborating drafting you know all the things that we do as bankers to tell to tell the story zoom has obviously made it much much more efficient for us um but i wouldn't be in this business if i didn't like sitting with clients over dinner, building relationships, becoming their friends. And uh, it's, it's hard to do that over Zoom, certainly. Um, so yeah, I, miss well, my, I mean, a lot of I'm, those I'm, relationships. I miss my friends, I miss my clients, I miss yeah. dinner with my clients. Well, I mean, so many of those have to be, you know, just relationships that you then have over the, you know, years, mm-hmm. right? The lifetime relationships a lot of these turn into. It's not yeah. just a transactional thing. So, yeah, absolutely. We are, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's much more complex. And thank, thankfully, for, um, you know, I, I don't know that the machine or the computer is ever going to take over, take over my business. So <laughs> I, have, I have that going for me. Uh, but, but, but it's. I, I've embraced Zoom. Um, we, we've been, you know, heavily, you know, successful um, maintaining our business, um, winning new business, um, successfully getting results for clients using Zoom. Um, but um, you know, I think I, I speak for uh, you know many folks. Um, we all miss the, the, the human interaction in a business setting, and I, I think there's something to be said about the 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 random walk around the office where you, you joke and you laugh and, and you share ideas and that's just, that's just difficult to replace. So, um, I know it's, it's going to be different. It's going to be better, different. Uh, it's going to be more efficient. I think we'll, we'll obviously try to be more judicious before we get on an airplane and, um, perhaps it's going to be the best of both worlds. So that's what I'm thinking of. That'll be great. The the roaring twenties, as they say, again. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just hope they don't have the same the same outcome, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Without the Great Depression at the, the back end in the war. So, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, well, thanks so much for joining, Sean. I really appreciate it, and I know I learned a lot today. I know yeah. you know there's just so many people that are going to listen to this that don't have the opportunity to kind of have these kinds of conversations. So they're going to appreciate you taking the time out. So, uh, so thanks again. Well, well, thank you, Connor. And thank you for the venue. Really appreciate it. Of course. All right. Bye, Sean. Take care. Bye-bye. Hit subscribe now. Earned by Tribe Dynamics. Tribe Dynamics unlocks your social media influencer community. Our platform not only tracks and measures your best influencer relationships, but discovers new influencers to grow your business through earned media. Get started with a demo today at TribeDynamics.com. TribeDynamics.com.